0: Okay, baby. Just in the nick of time. We are live, but we gotta let it breathe just for a minute. Let that O2 saturate the bloodstream. We are a mile high after all. We need that O2. We gotta let it breathe. But it looks like we're good. So welcome in, everybody. It is the Huddle Up Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle, powered by Blue Wire Podcast. And I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, my fellow football priest. You know him, you love him. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, there's a lot of, there's a few different Jerry Judy storylines I want to get to tonight. Uh, But first things first, Woody Page is reporting, per sources, I can pull up the article that the front runner to win Broncos ownership, the Walmart heir, Rob Walton, plans to build a new stadium if he ultimately ends up victorious in his pursuit of buying the team. Dude, that story has gone like ape crap all day long on our social media like it's doing huge traffic. That obviously means a lot to Broncos fans. What does it mean to you?
1: I mean, I hope he doesn't do it. I I said this a couple weeks ago. I hope he maintains the lore and the legacy of the Broncos and don't fix what's not broken. And aside from a few stadium seats from the fire, not much is broken about. Empower Field, Mile High, Sports Authority, whatever you want to call it. It's a legendary venue, and I hope he doesn't build anew and uh, move the team around Denver or maybe even out of Colorado if his heart is content. I didn't think Rob Walton was capable of doing something like this or that was his intention. It sours me a little bit about his potential ownership, but it doesn't matter what I think. It's the fiduciary responsibility to sell to the highest bidder. If he wants the Broncos, he's going to get the Broncos, and he might move the Broncos um, locally, which I'm not a fan of.
0: You know, I feel you, but just to push back a little bit, when the Broncos under Pat Bowen first started talking about, not talking about, but once they got approval with the city of Denver to build what was then called Invesco field at mile high, the new stadium. Um, and we were talking about dispensing with mile, the true mile high stadium. Like it was, uh, kind of a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow. It's kind of similar to, it's kind of similar to when the Broncos went from the orange, you know, bright red, orange, uh, whatever the light blue that is like your hat, right? When, when they went from those colors to the new colors in 97 uh, it was similar where it's like, Oh cool. This is cool and new and fresh. I'm intrigued, but there's also the nostalgia and the, the devil, you know, component of, well, but this is what I'm used to. Honestly, I don't know how much it matters Zach, but if you wanted to turn Denver into a 24/7 365 NFL city, you need to you need to have a roof, right? If you want to be able to woo the league in terms of bringing in the Super Bowl, things like that, other activities, you got to have a roof.
1: Well, if that's a if that's Walton's intention, that's his prerogative. I don't think that's a, the number 1 uh, agenda item in terms of owning the Broncos. This team hasn't been to the playoffs in over a half decade. That should be number one, and I hope that will be number one. But again, he's the man with the plan, apparently. He's the one with the money, most importantly, and it's what he wants. I don't think it would happen overnight. It would take a few years. But I just, I don't know. Again, I'm a traditionalist. Maybe this is where we differ a little bit, clash heads. I just think they're fine where they are, and I think Broncos country is fine where they are. Maybe
0: David Bingaman, I'm curious to, I'm I'm not sure what you mean here. He says, we don't need no new stadium. Mr. B specifically chose this design for a reason, dot, 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 competitive advantage. I'm not sure exactly what you mean, so so elucidate in the chat, David and, we'll, and Scott will look for it. Um, but the Broncos already have a pretty clear advantage just being at mile high. Now, I don't know how much that really serves them. I think every once in a while it can make a difference, but, you know, just because nowadays, Zach, it's not like the old days when, uh, well, just to put it this way, modern times, you're out there, you're running, you're gunning, you're on the field, you're, you know, you're bursting, you're doing your thing. And then your, your unit comes off the field. Now, dude, you can straight hook straight into oxygen, right? Right on the sideline. Boom. Resaturate your bloodstream. Muscles are fed. You're good to go back out when, uh, when it's your turn again. In the old days, they didn't have that. It was much more of an advantage, the thin air back then, I think, than it is today. Michael, bro, bro, dude, thank you so much. You've been just on a phenomenal roll. You've got to be close to, if not number one. We'll have an update on the super chat rankings for May tomorrow, so look for that. But Michael, I, I, I know you're top five, could be number one. He says, "Good evening, Chad and Zach. Let's ride and go Broncos." Yes, indeed, Zach.
1: Yeah, thank you, Michael. As always,
0: love you, buddy. But yeah, I don't know how much. Well, let me get back to let me get back to the article and shout out to Keith Cummings. For uh, writing this today, he's riffing off of um, Woody Page's article for the Colorado Springs Gazette. And I'm going to go ahead and quote Keith for a second here, Zach. Several key financial and personal factors appear to be in play, which make Walton, a multibillionaire, the leading candidate, or at least according to Woody Page's sources. Those factors are, number one, Walton has the financial means to outstrip any bid which would be forthcoming from Harris, who is depending on who you want to believe it's down to two. Some people have rebutted that like Mike Kliss rebutted that says, no five are still in it. Others have said, no, it's two it's Harrison Walton, but I digress. Uh, Walton has, has close family connections to the Cronky family who own several major franchises, including the LA Rams three Walton owns a residence in Aspen, Colorado. And one of his sons lives in Boulder. And then four, Walton has the desire to build a new state-of-the-art stadium to house the Broncos in Denver. So these are, Zach, on top of, I mean, it includes it, obviously, his wealth. But even if you set that aside, those other three factors are why a lot of people are feeling like he's going to be the man at the at the end of this this rainbow.
1: I just want to know his motive, though. I mean, he, Woody Page laid out all those details and footnotes, but what is the motive behind building state-of-the-art? Does he want to be a Cronky and build a complex, not just housing football, but a whole entertainment shop and district and just uh, a little slice of paradise in Denver? Does he want that? Then, again, that's his prerogative. I think winning football games is number one in Denver. If he wants to connect with Broncos country, connect with people in Colorado and Denver, winning football games is the most important uh thing and, and the easiest way to do that so i hope that's his responsibility number one is making the broncos a better football team but we'll see what happens and what his motives turn out to be if he does win ownership of the franchise
0: chase is wondering how old the current stadium is let me see uh when did i want to say it was it was or it was like 2000 or 2001 when did Invesco field open august 1st 2001 for what it's worth so uh, 22, 23 years going on anyway. um, Which is
1: young for a stadium. That's not old at all.
0: Relatively speaking, I mean, Mile High Stadium was there for freaking 40 years. Let's see. Yeah, 40 years. No, not quite that long. 30 some odd years anyway. And the mystique that place had, I mean, those of you who sat in it, it was one thing very unique, Zach, and I know this was before your time, uh, about the stadium when you were in it is, you got the grass, you got the field, and then the incline of that stadium, dude, like you felt like you were like looking straight down, even if you weren't in the nosebleeds, like you felt like you were on top of the field almost. Cause it was like such a vertical, it wasn't like a gradual build out in the bowl. Right. And then it comes up into the U shape. It was like filled V and very narrow V is how it, how it felt. And so it kind of created this intimidation factor, I think, in some respects for, uh, away teams coming in because first of all, you got that thin air. You don't have the O2 on the sidelines in those old days. And you it feels like the freaking fans are on top of you. And as you've seen from some of the America's game stuff and just like old interviews, when Bronco fans would start stomping their feet in that stadium in particular, it was a cacophony, dude, an extremely deafening, um, made it really hard for the opponents to get calls in and communicate and so forth, so on and so forth.
1: I think the, the, I'm going to harp on this point one more time. The most intimidating factor would be if the Broncos were a winning, successful football team and for any opponent to come into that stadium and try to beat them with the fans and being in a hostile environment again, they haven't had that to their advantage. No disrespect to Broncos country. It's disrespect to the product that's been on the field since 2016. If that product improves, the environment of the stadium improves. It doesn't matter how old it is or what upgrades quote unquote need to be done. It's winning football games is number one, maybe. Maybe I'm just weird.
0: By the way, no. I mean, that's got to be the the first focus. Get those W's. Joe is wondering, oh, I hope they stay in Colorado. Broncos aren't going to move. That's not happening, guys. Trust on that, okay? Uh, David says in, uh, you know, further elucidating on his comment, the advantage Mr. B tried to bake into the new stadium, weather plus altitude. He didn't want a closed stadium because the elements have helped the team Uh, win three Lombardies since. So the weather, basically what he's saying is there's nothing ergonomically designed with the stadium per se that gives the Broncos an advantage outside, Zach, of the fact that it's still open air. And, of course, anyone that's been to a game at Mile High from, you know, basically late October on, all bets are off. You never know. I mean, when anyone who's lived in or is from the Rockies, you know, The weather can change on a dime. You can wake up in the morning, and it's sunshine, and birds are singing, and it's nice, warm weather, and by the time you're having lunch, dude, it can be snow, it can be freaking whatever, right? It can run the gamut. That doesn't go away um, as long as you keep the open-air stadium. So that's what he's saying.
1: I think they'd be fools to put a stadium on the the Broncos facility, just like they'd be fools to put a a roof on the the Bills stadium. Weather is a part yeah. of the, the franchise and a part of playing against that franchise on their home field. I don't think we're going to have to worry about it, but that's a really dumb idea if I ever heard one. I'll
0: tell you this, though. There's there's something to be said about the difference between Colorado, December air. Let's say it's 25 degrees. Let's say it's 30 degrees, whatever. And like upstate New York, December air because of that humidity factor. That, the humidity aspect uh, combined with cold I mean, the coldest I've ever been. I mean, in the winter in the Rockies, Zach, you can go outside and it'll be uh, 25 degrees and it's cold. You're going to wear a coat wherever you're going if it's that cold. But you're not, it's not like, you, you don't feel like you're about to die. The coldest I've ever been in Chicago in the middle of January. All right. Had to walk one city block in the evening. No snow. It was just 25 degrees outside. I don't know what the humidity was, but I know it was the humidity that literally, Took my breath away, made it hard for me to just go a single city block, dude. There's some, that humidity factor, dude. It's something else when it comes to the cold.
1: I guess I just meant elements in general. I mean, it snows in both right. places and pretty heavy at times as well. It's it's you don't care if you put a, a roof on like the Dolphin Stadium or or the Buck Stadium because they don't have elements. It's one season pretty much year round. But what has in common between Denver and Buffalo are those elements. Like you mentioned, it can snow at any time, and that can work to the Broncos' advantage because they're used to playing in that. So cap, capping yourself and cutting your legs off by putting a roof on there is uh, ridiculous, honestly.
0: For what it's worth, just to put a a, a pin here, tie it in a bow, the whole Walton thing. Last week, the Broncos hosted the, the Josh Harris and his group. This coming week, it's Walton going to come into town, and Joe Ellis is going to do the, the song and dance for whatever it's worth. Without further ado, let's let's uh, see what was on Travis's mind here. Th- good to see you, Big T. Hope you're doing well, my dog. He says, good evening. Hope everyone had a great weekend and all the moms a great Mother's Day. I am all for and excited for a new owner to steer this ship in the right direction, but I do fear the new owner might be like another Snyder. Zach, real quick. Shame on us for not shouting out the mothers at the top of the show. It is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the wonderful mothers out there inside and outside of Broncos country. But tonight we're specifically hats off to the mothers within Broncos country. So much love and respect. Uh, but Zach, your thoughts here to Travis.
1: Hi, Mom. I know you're watching, so I appreciate it. Love you. Um, I don't know if we're going to get another Daniel Snyder because we don't know anything about Rob Walton, especially as a potential football Owner. I mean, again, what are his motives? What are any of these potential owners motives? We do not know that. But Daniel Snyder, to me, seems like um, the rotten apple among the bunch. You know, that franchise is inarguably the most dysfunctional in the NFL. They have been for quite some time. And the things they're doing are so far out of the depth of competency. No, No one or nothing else comes close. So I don't think we're going to have a Daniel Slander situation. You might have maybe in an alternate universe, a Jerry Jones type. And what I mean by that, not T-boning random people on the street, just being a meddler in football operations and having more input than necessary. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that either. He seems like a really rich guy with nothing better to do than looking at his Walmart stock. He wants to own another sports franchise and the Broncos happen to be up for sale. I don't think we're going to have to worry too much about um, toxicity in the workplace or all the other things that are plaguing Washington for years now.
0: Yeah. Well, I know Pat Bolin, when he bought the team, we get back to what his motive is, right? Like just sketching it out a little bit here. When Pat Bolin bought this team back in the eighties, what was it? 84. When he took over as owner of the Broncos, obviously, and GLP, thank you for the stars, big dog. It's great to see you. Appreciate you. As always, my friend, Gary Leeds Palmer in the hizzy. Obviously the motive was to make money, Right. A profitable venture, as as is the case for the vast majority of any and all business owners. But I think Zach, t- to your concern, and it's a concern for everybody. What separates the truly great owners out there from the ones that aren't so good, like the Snyders, amongst many things, though, is is it simply a pursuit for of, for profit, a pursuit of profit, or do you find joy and meaning also in the pursuit of that profit? Meaning that you understand that if I can find a way to manufacture a winning product on the field, those profits are going to come. But along the way, I'm going to find joy and my passion in doing whatever I can as owner to facilitate my team having the competitive edge to be successful enough to where it is a very profitable venture. And that was obviously something, Zach, that Pat Bowen, man, he took it to the nth degree. I'm not sure. I mean, there have been a lot of really excellent, great Hall of Fame caliber owners in the history of, of the NFL, I suppose. But of the modern era, I'm not sure there was one that was more invested. And I don't mean that literally as far as money because it's obvious he's you know he's an, the owner. Of course he's invested. But I mean, on a spiritual, emotional level, just invested in being the best, his team being the best.
1: You know, I don't disagree with you, but I'm thinking to myself, if I'm worth $70 billion and I was born into the Walmart family. On a human level, do I find any meaning and joy? Does anything bring me meaning or joy If, if I've had everything? It's like, how do you satisfy the uber wealthy? What do you get them for their birthday, for example? They have everything already. So he's collecting franchises like you collect matchbox cars. They live in a different... World, they really do that. That 0.1% of society, and he belongs to that. So, I don't know if he's going to have day to day, hour to hour joy in owning the Broncos like Pat Boland did because Pat Boland had a vested interest in the NFL. He made the NFL a better place, not just the Broncos, a better franchise. To get or expect someone on Pat Boland's level is a little unrealistic. There's only one Pat Bolin ever.
0: That's no doubt about that. Broke the mold with Mr. B. I, I think the scariest part about it, Zach, is that fans, I mean, fans have to relinquish control no matter what. Fans don't get to choose who the coaches are, or who which coaches are hired. They don't get to choose which players are drafted and all that. But there is a, a little bit more of a feeling of, I guess, control. I don't know. What, what would be a good word? Influence, investment from fans on coach hirings and player acquisitions, maybe because they, they just understand it more. With an owner, it's scary because – new owner coming in. You don't know, is it going to be a Snyder? Is it going to be a Bolin? Odds tell us it's not going to be a Bolin type, right? Obviously broke the mold again. I'll say it with Mr. B, but even like a facsimile, Zach of Mr. B, is it going to be a guy like that? Or is it going to be a guy that's more a facsimile of a Daniel Snyder Washington, making a mockery of his club and about to get run out of the NFL, basically. And that, Lack of control, that's the part that I think gives everyone that kind of uh, unsettling feeling, I guess.
1: I, I think the more realistic comp, like we have you know, NFL draft comps, now we have owner comps, is David Tepper, who owns the Panthers. Uber, uber wealthy guy. He did it, I think, more so for his portfolio, for his bank account, but he's been quasi-involved in a positive way in football operations. I think Walton could be that guy if they go that route. And that's much safer than a Daniel Slander, Jerry Jones at all.
0: Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Jerry Judy, who has been in the news cycle for the last three or four days, not only because he took to the podium uh, for the first time this off season this past week, but there was also quite the um, high profile bold prediction from Chad Cinco, Johnson, right, the legendary wide receiver, perennial pro bowler, multi-all pro. He uh, took to to Twitter, I'm going to pull it up here, Uh, whoop, here it is, Uh, to say, Zach, that Jerry Judy will have 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns. Now, of course, he doesn't really say what is fueling this bold prediction, but I think the implication is pretty safe to assume it's Russell Wilson. What was your take on this? I know you wrote up the article, uh, but your take on this, how realistic is it? Is it all that bold? Or, I mean, maybe it is. It's extremely bold. I mean, if you scroll down a little bit, Jerry Judy in his career
1: only has 1,300 yards and three touchdowns, and you're going to think he's going to get 1,510 working in that receiving core. But this is the same guy in Ocho Cinco. Didn't he say the Broncos have three number one wide receivers with Sutton, Jerry Judy, and KJ Hamler? Ocho Cinco is Ocho Cinco. His personality needs no explanation. He's uh, a favorable to receivers, which I don't blame him uh, for being, but like you're highlighting there, like I wrote, there are so many mouths that need feeding. We're not even talking about the tight ends, the running backs, just in the receiving core. How can you expect Jerry Judy to make that much of a leap in year three? I think he will make a leap, and I think it's okay to hope for a leap, but to expect that drastic of a breakout is a little fantasy island for me. I think he's gonna be much better than what we've seen, but to expect him to leapfrog Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Hamler, Alberto, Dulcich, Javante catching passes, Melvin Gordon catching passes, that's a lot of pressure to put on Nathaniel Hackett in year one.
0: Um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm gonna see if I can find while I'm live here with you guys to, to see if this is uh okay, so. In the history of the club, only two wide receivers, Zach, and it only happened once with each guy, eclipsed fifteen hundred yards receiving. Both were catching passes from a future Hall of Famer. For what it's worth, Rod Smith got to sixteen hundred yards in two thousand. Actually, that was what that wasn't that was uh Greasy. What am I saying? Um, Demaryius Thomas got to sixteen hundred and nineteen in twenty fourteen catching balls from Peyton. And then the closest that kind of might, I don't know, be a little bit more easy comparison to Jerry Judy was that out of nowhere, crazy 2010 campaign from Brandon Lloyd, the the giving up the ghost Hail Mary season of Josh McDaniels, when Brandon Lloyd put up 1,448 receiving yards and 11 touchdowns on 77 receptions. That's in the entire history of the Denver Broncos. It's basically only been accomplished twice, and it's only been sniffed, like barely even sniffed, by Demarius got to 1,400 two other times. Uh, Emmanuel got to 1,400 once. Rod Smith had one other season kind of close. He got to like 1,350. Even Brandon Marshall, Zach, who had some massive seasons in Denver, uh, most receiving yards he ever produced in a single season for this team, 1,300 and change. So... I want to believe it, and I agree with you, though Zach. As much as I want to believe it, let's 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 come back to reality a little bit. Phil, love you, bro. Appreciate the the support as always, my dog. It's great to see you tonight. I think Jerry Judy is poised to take a step forward, maybe even a quantum leap. But fifteen hundred yards with that many mouths to feed. If it was Jerry Judy, there's no Cortland Sutton, Zach, and it's just Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, and the tight ends and the backs. It's still a little bit out there, but then I could be like, "Mm, maybe like if literally everything goes right, but Cortland Sutton dude is going to be the black hole that sucks in the targets. Trust me on this guys. Cortland Sutton is, I mean, Wilson's going to zero in on him and then we'll grab D dub.
1: You know, to your point, what I was going to say, which is uh, it, it coincides with that, they're not going to have to pass the ball as much to warrant such gaudy numbers. They're going to be able to run the ball pretty much at will, hopefully, with Javante and Melvin Gordon and Mike Boone, and that's stable, to use Nathaniel Hackett's term, of running backs. But I could see Cortland being realistic, Cortland getting 11 to 1200. I could see Jerry Judy going for 8 to 900, maybe 1,000. That's That's realistic. I can hope for that. I can expect that. But to expect him to shoot up the list and and hit 1,500 and 10 touchdowns, I appreciate the enthusiasm, Ocho Cinco, but I will smash the under on that proposition for sure.
0: All right. I uh, temporarily pulled Dale off just to show that full screen. I can show it again if you guys want to see it. But um, Dale, love you, bro. Appreciate you. Hope you've had a great weekend. Hope uh, the missus had a great Mother's Day as well. Shout out to Gretchen. Dale says, I appreciate all the perspective, all of it's relevant, Two great, uh, the two greatest points. Is a winning team, first and foremost, in terms of the motive of the owner? Uh, is that the first and foremost thing, winning? And how do you blend that to influence the community in the best way? State of being, baby. Yes, indeed. Right back at you, my dog. That was another thing that we haven't even mentioned as we lionize Mr. B was his community outreach and all the things he did. Uh, for people, you know, for, for the community that that he was in. And that's a good point, my friend.
1: Winning cures all. If he delivers the Broncos Super Bowls, he will be lauded as a hero, just like Pat Boland was, uh, uh, not just for what he did off the field, for what he did on the field. He brought a winning product back to Denver, a consistently winning product. So a winning team, that priority should be first and foremost, because that's first and foremost, I hope to Broncos country. I hope to the community. Yeah. Him having deep pockets can help, a you know, a children's hospital or another charity that's in the area, but for football matters, them being successful again will be the biggest tie in the community.
0: Here's a really interesting point. Something to ponder that Kennedy's bringing up shout out to the producer. So NFL ownership—it is an exclusive club, right? There's only 32 dudes, um, only 32 NFL owners, and it could be that that competition of, you know, competing in as an elite group as there is that exists on the face of the earth could be something that gets him gets him out of bed in the morning. Who knows? I, I don't know. I'm just putting myself in a 70 billion dollar man
1: shoes, and I don't know if anything could get me out of bed that would want me to compete and for something I already don't have.
0: I don't know. We'll see. We shall see. We shall indeed. Shout out to RAL Blitz on Twitch. Good to see you, my friend. He says, G'day, boys. you like my Australian? G'day, mate. Hope you're well. Kind of wish training camp was here already. I want to see these position battles. Yes, I. we feel you, dude. Uh, but here's the thing. Enjoy your summer. Zach and I and all the dudes here at MHH, we're going to be here to help you kind of kill the time and, and grind through the summer. Trust on that. Jacob, good to see you, bro. How are you? Hope you've been well. Um, Training camp will be here before you know it. Here we are sitting now at the beginning of the second week of May. Uh, Training camp will start somewhere toward the end of July, like the 25th, 26th, something like that, and then we're off and running. So we're only really talking about two and a half months. and Plus, we still kind of have a quasi-season to analyze in that at least the Broncos have – been in the building a little bit doing OTAs and the mini camps and rookie camps coming up. Zach, I can't remember the date. You might know the date on that. Um, is it this week? R- 13th, and 14th? Okay. So end of this week. Yes. End of this week. And then, you know what? A couple more, there'll be the mandatory OTAs. And then middle of June is when the Broncos say bye-bye and they get their six week stretch. That's going to be the toughest part, but then camp will be here and we'll be off and run. I just can't wait for the quarterback battle backup quarterback (laughs) battle. Does Brett
1: Rippon win? Does Josh Johnson win? Do they bring in another undrafted quarterback? Eric uh, Barrier they're working out at the rookie minicamp. But, yeah, I'm excited as well, and I'm just uh, taking in one one day at a time the fact that this is a new-look Broncos franchise that is definitely on the ascension under Russell Wilson.
0: Yes. Uh, Andrew Baker, what is good? Appreciate you, my friend. He says, all right, it's time for a Super Bowl prediction with Russ. Does not happen this year or within two or three more years? Hashtag MHH for life. Love it, dude. Zach, before I serve this over to you, let me just set the stage real quick. You think, wait a minute, a quarterback transplant in his first year leading a team to the Super Bowl? Tom Brady did it. So did Matthew Stafford. In fact, the last two Super Bowls were won by a quarterback transplant, a veteran in a new city. So what's your answer here for Andrew?
1: Oh, man. You know, I'm going to just start by saying – it can happen in the window that they have in his prime, which is I think three, maybe four or five more years, whatever. They definitely can get there. Um, And I think the Bengals gave a good example of what solid quarterback play and playing hard-nosed defense can do for you and where it can get you. You know, they were the true underdog, and I feel like if they can make it, the Broncos can make it under Russell Wilson. Might not happen year one. You're talking about so many new Uh, players and coaches and schemes, rookie coordinators, a rookie head coach, a new quarterback, they're going to make a deep playoff run. I mean, they might contend for the AFC West. They're going to win probably 11, 12 games. They're going to go deep into January. But I can't look you guys in the eye and say, yeah, they're going to be in the Super Bowl next February. I think within two to three years, that's a distinct possibility. Being realistic, objective.
0: Because here's the thing you got to factor into, Andrew, and everyone on this line of thinking is, you know, you think, well, Tom did it. Stafford did. Okay, cool. But not only is Tom arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, not in the hearts of Broncos fans. We all know who that is, right? But Tom Brady, it's hard to it's hard to debate the results on him being QB1 all time. But even Matthew Stafford, you know, former number number one overall pick, longtime veteran of the league, you know, lands in the right place. But both those guys benefited in a sense depend Peyton Manning doesn't necessarily maybe see it this way. And I can explain to you what I mean by that. If you guys want, but they, you know, Brady arrives in Tampa systems already there. Bruce Arians, they tweak it to kind of Tom's liking and off they go. And what that means is no one else around them had to learn anything. They all already kind of knew the system. It was the quarterback getting up to speed. And then everyone kind of fitting in there. Same with Stafford, Zach, he lands in LA And it's Sean McVay's scheme that's been just the, you know, the trend of the league for four or five years, whatever it's been. That is a significant leg up to Russell Wilson coming to Denver with a brand new literal first time ever head coach where everyone's learning the scheme. And so Peyton Manning, I guess I'll just say he views that as an advantage for Russ in terms of getting out to a fast start. So, for Russ, I think it is, it could be a good thing, especially, you know, take it from Peyton, who's been there. He knows basically what it's like. I'm just not sure it's going to be that same benefit, Zach, to everybody else who's going to be learning the Hackett scheme. In other words, it's going to take time for this whole thing to come together. Could it come together in year one and they go all the way? Definitely could. But I'm going to hedge just a little in terms of keeping it on the realistic and say, I think the Broncos will be in position to contend for a title within the next three years.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the the comparisons you made, in order for those to be uh, realistic, apples to apples, you would have to assume or believe that, Russell Wilson is as good as Tom Brady or better. And I, I I love Russell Wilson. I really, really do. Even before he came to Denver, but he's not on Brady's level. And the other one is you have to believe that Nathaniel Hackett is as good of a coach as Sean McVay is. And I'm really super high on Hackett, but McVay has proven he is a genius. He is all of the labels he's earned. Hackett hasn't earned those labels yet. So they are going to make a run. They are going to be relevant. They are going to be prime time in 2022, but if they fall short of the Super Bowl, please don't cry in your Cheerios. It's going to be okay. They'll get there eventually.
0: They will. And I do feel confident in saying, like, as close to a guarantee as I could I could give you without having a crystal ball and being able to perfectly predict the future, the Denver Broncos are going to be a playoff team this year. That's something I don't really doubt, believe it or not. But getting all the way through the gauntlet, man, with a first-time head coach, who knows? I mean, look at it like this. When Peyton Manning arrived in Denver in 2012, it wasn't pretty right away. I mean, they were obviously competitive in every game out of the gates, won their opener. Uh, took a It took a, a come-from-behind historical win on Monday Night Football to kind of get the juices flowing. Everything came together. The Broncos went on a run. 11 straight wins. They had all the momentum in the world. And then John Fox took his foot off the gas. For whatever reason, in that divisional game, divisional round game against the Baltimore Ravens, or else Peyton Manning could have been. I mean, Zach, if Peyton Manning and the Broncos get through Baltimore, they're going to the Super Bowl. And that year they're playing the San Francisco 49ers. That team. And that team had DT, that team had uh Eric Decker, Julius Thomas, no Sean Moreno, and uh Willis McGahee, a really, really good offensive line. That was uh a full season from Ryan Clady at left tackle. Defensively, you had Doomerville and Vaughn. You had uh, Keith Brooking, off-ball linebacker. You had a solid D-line. You had a good secondary with Champ still. It was the last all truly all-pro year for Champ was 2012. I I don't think – I think it would have been a game, but the Broncos would have rolled in the AFC title game. They would have got to the Super Bowl that year, and they would have beat San Francisco and New Orleans. like That is a missing ring you know, they should make a missing ring NFL films of that team. Yeah, I don't want to
1: look backward, though. Let's go forward. The Broncos are going to win a ton of football games this year, and they're going to get back to the playoffs finally, and they'll exercise those demons of the last six years. That's what I'm focused on and I'm excited about.
0: Speaking of the future, let's talk about Jerry Judy and how he believes Russell Wilson is going to help him a lot in the future, real quick. We had a few different stories on Judy. I mean, again, some of the stuff he had to say was, uh, A lot of the different things he had to say was newsworthy. But here's what he said real quick. Zach, I want to get your thoughts on this. Judy on uh, the impact of Russ, quote, he could help me a lot. He's a great quarterback, a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback that came to the offense as a leader. He's getting me better as well. He's going to help me a lot this year. And then he further elucidated by saying uh, just his energy and the energy Russ has brought to the building. He's always uplifting guys. And always motivating guys to go out there and keep working hard on the off days when you don't feel like working or doing anything. He's the guy that comes up to you and gets your mind right for it. That's a great guy to be around. Close quote. Zach.
1: I I, I gotta be honest. I, I kind of didn't like the tone he had in his presser. I don't know if he's like intimidated to speak to the media or he doesn't like it or he's not equipped to do it. But he was very succinct. And um, he never has been, dude. He's always been a bad interview. I thought he'd get a little better, though. He's just very, I don't know. I don't know the word for it. But, you know, he was asked, I, I had a daughter. That's why I missed the first uh, Wilson passing camp. But he goes, so I made the second one. So, yeah, I, I just didn't like the tone that he had there. And all he talked about was making himself better. This is not, you know, public speaking one hundred and one for NFL players. He didn't mention the team. He didn't mention Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. He talked about Russell Wilson making Jerry Judy and Jerry Judy only better. And then the next quote he had was, "When you don't want to show up, when you don't want to work out, it doesn't really lend uh, Judy any credit or any favors uh, to the reputation he's garnered from the fan base with drops, attitude concerns." He made the conditioning joke about the quarterbacks and his coaches interesting guy. That's what I'll I'll leave
0: it at that. You're not wrong, dude. This guy and on one hand I kind of feel for him in the sense that it's not his forte. He's just not good at interfacing with the media. But you would think that as a high-profile guy, let's not pretend he came from some backwoods, you know, backwater school of of obscurity uh, only to suddenly be thrust into the NFL. We're talking SEC Alabama First-round pick, this dude has been exposed to the media din for most of his football-playing career, all right? Someone at some point, you would think, would pull this cat aside, give him some PR pointers in terms of, hey, of course, mind what you say, but it's not always what you say, how you say things. He comes off as flippant. He comes off as disinterested. He comes off as disengaged. And then the me-me thing, honestly, Zach, now I'm going to go ahead and try and, you know – Put on the uh, Freud hat here for a second. So humor me. But I think it's this constant awareness, all right, of Jerry Judy, former first round pick, so used to be in the bee's knees, producing at the highest levels. And he hasn't. He simply hasn't. And not only is it an issue, Zach, of he hasn't, but dudes that came into the league same year as him, drafted after him in some cases, balling out, throwing down. And so it's almost like everything he says when he's facing media is spit through that prism, that filter. It's like, dude, just, you know, I try to understand it, but someone needs to pull him aside and help him understand how to be a little bit better at the podium. Even though he doesn't have to be, you know, what? if his number gets called to talk to the media, he fulfills his obligation to the players union. He does it. He doesn't have to be the nicest guy in the world when he's at the podium. He probably actually hates that moment. Not that he hates media, but some people really hate having that scrutiny on them in a one-on-one level. It's one thing to be out on the field with your teammates and you're you're being active and you're just doing your thing, and that draws attention, but to be in a situation where people are asking you questions and you have to open up and you have to say, there are many players and just people in general that loathe such a prospect
1: we i said this about a year ago on the podcast um that jerry judy's probably saying to himself why aren't i getting the praise that cd lamb is getting or justin jefferson is getting some of these other receivers around the nfl he hasn't earned it for one but we t- you took the article down but as i wrote he was once an alabama star and he's faded into obscurity and irrelevancy with the broncos and i think that kills jerry judy and Putting my Freud hat on, I think he kind of checked out mentally from the game a little bit because of that, because of the drop issues he's had, compounded by fan criticism, media criticism, him being a very small fish in a big pond now. He's maybe a mentally fragile player. If there was one, uh, he's a diva after all as a receiver, but I don't like some of the intangible qualities I've seen out of Jerry Judy, and it's in year three now, Chad. He's yeah. not a kid. He's not a teenager. He's not a rookie anymore. You're entering year three on a playoff caliber win-now team. Let's act like it a little bit.
0: Well said. Travis, he says, I hope to see Judy improve on his drops and not worry so much on his fort work because we know that's his bread and butter. Hey, he did, for what it's worth. Jerry Judy, look, gets hurt week one last year. Uh, misses, I wrote it up, five games and then comes back. He ended up, you know, not appearing in as many games as he did his rookie year. But Zach, I rem- I want to say it was two drops he had last year, two actual drops, compared to that's half of what he had in just one game last year. He dropped four or five against the Chargers. You guys remember that? I mean, it was like painful. Someone needed to go out there and give that man a hug on the field. It was that bad. You know, maybe not Paxton Lynch crying on the sideline in the black hole bad, but it was like you're feeling for the dude. He did take that onus on himself to improve that. I'll give him that credit. And he did do it. Had a great training camp. He was the star of training camp. Everyone was like, this is Judy's year, man. Well, the fly in that ointment, there were two of them. One, the injury, Zach, two, quarterback play. And that came as a bit of a shock. I got to admit because Teddy loved him in camp. He was feeding him their bond, their chemistry, but that time away, Teddy had to cook, man. He had to figure out how to get the the fish fried. And uh, there was no Judy to be had. So his tendencies ended up going in different directions. So by the time Judy comes back, he's not the blankie anymore. You know, he's not the security comfort blanket guy. It's Cortland, mostly, and Timmy P.
1: The the fish that Teddy was frying were so lightly battered and tasteless, Chad. I don't want to relive that. Um, I'll give Judy a pass for 2021. Not so much for 2020, but he was under the the yoke of Pat Shermer, Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke. He's playing with an established quarterback now. He's playing with uh, an established coach, we hope, and playing in an offense where it, it works against him playing with Cortland Sutton, uh, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, but they could also free up Jerry Judy to do other things on the field. As I wrote there, no one can do with his footwork and his route running with Jerry and Judy Kent, he can be a huge boon. He can be Russell Wilson's number one wide receiver, but he has to go out there and put in the work and prove that. Clean up the drop issues, clean up the character concerns, maybe get a little better in front of a microphone, and you'll earn the power that you crave. But I, I think he's just so disenchanted being a uh, an irrelevant receiver in the NFL.
0: See, and then Lawrence, hang tight. One sec, bro, we're going to get you next. That's how you reach him if you're Broncos PR. That's how you reach him. Self-interest, all right? Judy, you want to be more loved by the fans? You want people wearing Judy jerseys in those stands when you walk out on the grass for warm-ups? You want to see tens running around everywhere? Not tens that say Sanders on the back, but Judy? (laughs) Then you got to take your podium work more seriously, my dog. You've got to come to the table and be more of an ambassador. By the way, I know it's ambassador. I just have more fun saying ambassador because that's how my dad says it, all right? Humor me. That's how you reach him though. Maybe that's the only thing that could get him or it's either that Zach or he actually has to go out there and finally turn a corner and start producing. And then maybe that demon gets exercised and he's a different guy at the podium. I don't know.
1: I think in his mind, Jerry Judy's a legend, but in the minds of others, Jerry Judy's almost a bust. I mean, he was the 15th overall pick for God's sake, and he's not producing like that. To have three touchdowns in two seasons, 1,300 combined yards, I get the offensive coaching, the scheming, the quarterbacking all contributed to that, but so did he. And he's still doing that with his off-the-field persona and attitude. Just rub me the wrong way. Maybe I'm being a stick
0: in the mud, though. Lawrence, appreciate your patience, my friend. He says, Noah Fant had a lot to say when he left. I think Judy would too, if done wrong. So he's referencing, for those of you scratching your heads, Noah Fant, I don't know, a month after the trade? It actually was, the trade became official March 16th, and it was that week. So it was about two and a half, three weeks after the news broke of the trade, which couldn't be executed till March 16th. Noah does kind of a final... Goodbye type appearance on. I want to say it was Stokely and Zach, if I'm not mistaken. And in that radio interview on the fan, Noah Fant, I'll paraphrase him because we don't have it pulled up. I guess I could pull it up if we need to. But to paraphrase him, he said that he didn't agree with or understand or like the way he was used by the previous coaching staff. Not talking Rich Gangarello, talking Pat Shermer. And basically his job, instead of being that dynamic downfield threat where he could use his athleticism, size, and speed to stretch the field and really utilize the seams and all that, he was a short area right underneath guy. And they basically he was schemed to catch a short pass and hopefully make a guy miss and then pick up yardage. Instead of being schemed open and trying to use that dynamic twitch and speed that he does bring to the table, he was being schemed to do like a Heath Miller type thing, catch a little dump off from Ben Roethlisberger over the middle. Every once in a while, get lucky by, you know, bowling over a dude and pick up the first down. That's why so often last year, Zach, it translated to no offense. People just thought, oh, you know, can the man break a tackle? I mean, if every single play, you're basically being schemed knowing you're going to get contact as soon as you catch the ball I don't know, but he did voice his displeasure. And the the comment from Lawrence is probably not too far off. If Judy ended up somewhere else, probably hear a little something, something from him too.
1: I was going to say that I felt like Noah Fant had a better standing in Broncos country than Jerry Judy. But then I see comments like this. And I see comments like this and maybe I'll take that back. But the one thing I can say, there were different expectations on Noah fan as a tight end versus Jerry Judy as a receiver. Jerry Judy talks like an Alabama guy who was spoiled there in the spotlight. And he expected that he didn't want to work for that and earn that he expected that spotlight to transfer over from college to the NFL. It doesn't work that way. You have to earn it. And Judy found it out the hard way. And uh, instead of embracing it, he's been defiant against it. And that's where the attitude concerns to me come in.
0: Grover jumping in with a super chat. Thank you for that. We do appreciate it, Grover. Welcome connect on Twitter. My friend really do appreciate it. He says, I love the new vibe. Nathaniel Hackett has brought to Denver. And it seems as though a large part of their hiring and drafting has included the character of said hires and drafts thoughts. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, that's been one big departure that separated uh, John Elway, the draft artist from George Payton's early returns is that George Payton's focus, John at times really fell for the upside guy, the athleticism off the charts and allowed that to look past some of the intangible shortcomings and other kind of warts of the prospect. Whereas Payton, he prioritizes guys who's, Intangible skills, and I'm talking character, football IQ, love of the game, responsibility, all that stuff, commensurate on the same level as their physical gifts. And if those two things don't match up, then it's not a Peyton guy. He'll move to the next option. So that's the biggest thing. How much Hackett has had to do with that? Honestly, right. is a li- very little. That's a Peyton thing. But you could see where, you know, the the behind the Broncos deal. You know, you got to see certain players. They shared a brain on, including the tight end, semi-controversial pick at number eighty overall. For whatever reason, Greg Dulcich. Yeah,
1: I mean, as we saw, the coaches Hackett and Stukes and Evero they had major influence in the war room and they dictated a lot where uh, Peyton went in the draft. And it's admirable on one hand, and it's uh, new age on the other. But I don't think looking for character uh, plus prospects was a Hackett thing. I think that was a Peyton thing. If you guys remember a few years ago, it might've been the Jake, Butt class of 2017 Elway became fascinated, obsessed with four year captains. Remember that Chad, like I think Josie jewel, uh, it was the next year. So 20, because
0: 17 was so bad. Remember that was one with Carlos Henderson and, uh, Ugh.
1: Yeah. 18 wasn't a whole lot better, but yeah, he, he, went he overcompensated because of that and went for, you know, four year captains and uh, high profile, it's good to balance, but you want guys first and foremost that play football really well, that play their position really well and help you become a better team. So it's it, when those guys are also four year captains, four year starters, they have nothing but laudables to say about them. That's great but you have to find football players first. And I think that was one of Elway's downfalls as a drafter later in uh, the years.
0: Yeah. They started turning the corner. 2018 is when he did turn over a new leaf because there were some misses in that class, but you know, we can debate the Bradley Chubb thing. I think that's still jury's out. Cortland Sutton in round two. Um, You mentioned Josie in round four, trying to think 2018. Um, uh, Kelly. No, he was uh the next year. Oh no. Yeah, he was the year prior. He was 17. Oh okay. Fumagalli, Yadam, Freeman, Deshaun Hamilton, um and then do you remember Sam Jones? Sam Jones, um KeSean Bieria. I chose to forget this. Draft David Williams, him. David Williams. That was the year remember they took David at instead of after promising Philip Lindsay if you're there in the 7th we're going to take you. And they ended up not taking them and took David Williams and then still managed to get Philip Lindsay. Anyway, Charlie Young, what's good, bro? Appreciate the stars. Good to see you. Means a lot. Really does. By the way, guys, for our, our um Facebook supporters and star senders on the on the hook this this month, Demarius Thomas jersey. I defy you to easily find a quality Demarius Thomas jersey, or still uh, scarce so what we're doing this month the uh we're trying to reach two hundred thousand stars in the month of may if we hit it now i gotta say if because we first month last month was the first month we didn't hit our stars goal but um then we're gonna raffle off a dt jersey and the only people in the running for that as you guys know a lot of people are new though we grow each and every month so i gotta say it are those who contributed to the goal so the more stars someone threw down, the more tickets they're going to have in the hat, so on and so forth. Demarius Thomas jersey on the line. Lawrence, thank you, buddy. Uh Phil McLaughlin. And by the way, we're at 52 minutes. So we got to get out of here pretty soon. Phil says, okay, guys, my thinking is all of our receivers should have the best season ever with Russ throwing the ball. But our new offensive coach and his staff have to scheme the players, uh, the plays to get these guys open. I got faith, but only time will tell. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a symbiotic thing. I think, you know, if you go back, Zach, and look at some of Russ's most prolific seasons, it's not like Peyton, I mean, even in Indy, both Indy and Denver, uh, some seasons more so than others, but you had, it wasn't just one guy balling out as far as the skill guys catching passes. Like you had in Dallas, for example, or pardon me, in uh, Indianapolis, you had Dallas Clark, the tight end. You had Reggie Wayne. You had Marvin Harrison. You have Brandon Stokley, thousand yard season as a slot guy, and then of course the the running backs that were always really good at catching the ball out of the backfield for Peyton. You get to Denver, you got D.T. Decker, Julius, then Emmanuel, and so on and so forth. Um, Russell Wilson, Zach, has he ever thrown to a two thousand yard receivers in a season? I'm gonna have to check that. But usually for Russ, it's the one guy has a big year, and so if it's gonna be the one guy, I'm telling you. Going to be Cortland Sutton.
1: Yeah, but I want to harken back to one quote I really liked, and I've kind of um, beaten the dead by this point is what Hackett said the players become the scheme, the players become the system. So he's going to work to their benefit. Whatever receiver is clicking better on a certain drive or a certain game versus a certain opponent, they're going to get him the ball. And uh, get everyone involved. As I wrote in one of my Jerry Judy pieces, gone are the days of Judy running a billion fake jet sweeps. He's going to actually be used. These Broncos pass catchers and weapons will actually be used. That's what I'm number one most excited about the play calling and the game planning. There was none of it under Pat Shermer. He was like a blind man randomly pressing, you know, ask Madden on a controller. It was that bad. Now we actually have competent people in the building game planning for an opponent and using players to their full strengths. What a concept that is
0: real quick. I take some of that back. All right, real quick. DK Metcalf, thousand 1300 yard receiving season in 2020. That was his pro bowl year that same year. Tyler Lockett had just over a thousand yards. So there's a couple of cases. So Russ has actually, now that I'm looking at it, um, a couple of instances, you go back to like the Doug Baldwin, Golden Tate days, two guys are can get fed in, in the way he kind of distributes the ball. But then again, Zach, I guess, you know, I got to update my thinking here because that was with a definitely not a passing focused coach at any point. You know, the different offensive coordinators he had there for what it's worth. All right, since we're about out of time, let's grab the legendary Super Chat superstar here, Ron Dubb, who we just we always look forward to you joining the conversation, bro, because you bring the great questions and topics. He says, hey, guys, long time. Hope all is well. It is. Same back at you. Besides Benito and Mathis, which rookie will have the biggest impact in the coming season, and which do you think will be ranked higher for Denver, the offense or the defense? Zach, if you remove those two guys, do you have a specific idea of which rookie can uh, end up having the, the best season?
1: It's pretty sad. I don't
0: blame you, Ron, but it's pretty sad. He put Mathis there and not Greg
1: Dulcich, the number 80 overall pick, who I did not like at all, and I still don't. But uh, I'm going to go the literal literal route, and I'm going to say Montreux um, Washington. if only because he's penciled into a full-time returner uh, job, at least on kick returns, and he will contribute right away, and I think he'll break at least one touchdown with his speed. So I'm going to say Washington will be the biggest contributor.
0: Okay, so I'm going to real quick, to answer this, first of all, I think offense is going to be the higher-ranked unit for this team, but uh, as far as the breakout, if we get or the best, most impactful rookie, not named Benito, um, Dulcich, I don't think it will be Dulcich. Okay, we'll keep scrolling. Mathis, I don't think it'll be Mathis either, to be honest with you. Um, It's this guy right here.
1: Yeah, my second, yeah, for sure.
0: To me, it's going to be a Wuzuriki. I think he could end up winning a starting job, be a day-one starter, supplanting – Mike Purcell, for what it's worth, for what it's worth. Um, Great questions, as always, my friend. Really love and appreciate you, Ron, and hope you're doing well. Uh, A couple more, and then we got a dip, guys. Ben Wallman throwing down some stars. Appreciate that. Hey, get in the rankings, dude. There's a Russell Wilson jersey. There's a Demarius Thomas jersey with someone's name on it. Could be yours. Travis, not to talk bad of Judy, but sounds like it comes off – or, pardon, comes from the generation that respect is expected and not earned and needs to grow up some. On that note, great show tonight, guys. Thanks for your time and input. Good night. Yep, right back at you, big dog. We do appreciate that. And, you know, I think part of it, too, for whatever it's worth, is um, not necessarily a character flaw for Jerry Judy. Like some people, you know, like they just don't have it in them to be that bright, bubbly, assertive, kind of affable personality. That could just simply be Jerry Judy. That's just not who he is. But as a pro... Someone needs to bring pull him aside and help him help himself.
1: I mean, I don't care if he has this tone, if he's catching touchdown passes and becoming the receiver the Broncos drafted him to be. But when he's not that and he has this indignant, defiant attitude, that's where I'm like, bro, pick one lane and stick to it. You're you wanted like I mentioned this, that's why I agree with Travis so uh strongly. It's he expected that that um respect and and that reputation and the the fawning over him from Alabama to transfer over to Denver, it does not work that way at this level. It's earned every single down. That's why they call it not for long because you have to keep proving it and you fall off fast if you ever even come up. So Jerry Judy, if he wants to talk like that, he'll never be good at PR, fine. As long as he's good at his one job, which is catching passes, I'm okay with it, but he just uh, it didn't sit right with me how he handled his uh, press availability the other day.
0: With that, guys, we got to say good night. Zach, if you want to do our rundown, I'll grab yes. our shout outs.
1: Uh, have a great rest of your Mother's Day, Sunday, great rest of your weekend. That is going to do it for the Huddle Up Podcast. We are back on tomorrow night, same time, same place. Until then, follow us on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod. You can follow the main account on Twitter at Mile High Huddle. You can follow Chad on Twitter at Chad and Jensen. You can follow myself at Kelberman NFL. Follow Scott on Twitter at Scout Kennedy. If you guys want a hat like Chad's wearing, shirt like he's wearing, a hoodie like I'm wearing, I don't know why you'd want it in the summer, but I digress. Huddlepod.com is your merch tent. Check that out if you haven't already. And Facebook.com slash MyLahuddlePod. Like that page. Follow that page. Guys, if you haven't, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave your football priest a five-star review for a chance to win some swag each and every month. But if you can't do those things, please, guys please heed this call. Subscribe, like, and share this video and every video you see on the MHA's channel. It really helps us grow and reach more Broncos fans just like
0: you. Really do appreciate you guys, seriously. Thanks for those of you who do. Um, just a lot of people, like the stuff I watch, for example, my, the podcast that I'm following, a lot of it's like politics or music or just different things. But first thing I do when I get Into the room, and I'm whether it's a live stream or if I'm watching after the fact, as I hurry and like the video, just because I know what it's like being on the other end of that equation, it's a small thing I can do. I'm already enjoying the content, so of course, I'm gonna like it. Um, We appreciate that same mindset, guys. Shout out to these great supporters on Facebook Jacob Foster, Phil McLaughlin, Howie Frickin' Day, Travis Weber, GLP, that's Gary Leeds Palmer, Ben Wallman, Lawrence Rivera, Charlie Young, Andrew Baker, and our great super chat superstars tonight. Michael Ronquillo, D-Dub, Grover, Ron W. Appreciate each and every one of you. Much love and respect. We'll see you tomorrow night. Broncos for breakfast on the bright uh, with Nick and Scott. Take care, guys. Have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, go Broncos. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.